0: From the onset of entering the promised land, the people of God struggled. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So God raised up judges to help his people stay true to the ways of the Lord. The last judge was Samuel, who judged Israel all the days of his life. The people cried out, give us a king to judge us like all the nations. The Lord relented and told Samuel, Give them their king. The people chose Saul, a man of good appearance and tall stature, but did not have a heart for God. The Lord rejected Saul and chose an unlikely candidate in David to be king. The Lord opposes the proud, exalts the humble, and in spite of evil, His master plan continues to unfold. This is 1 Samuel. Yeah, so thankful for that bumper and everybody that participated in that from amongst our body to to help get that going. Well, I I am truly thankful that you're here this morning, even in the midst of the cold. And I guess uh, cold it maybe is a relative term, right? I mean, it's maybe in the single digits today. I was I was on the phone with my brother in Great Falls, Montana yesterday, and it was 40 below, no wind chill, and, and so uh, I remember couple times when I have been and I've experienced that and that is when you go outside and your your nostrils begin to freeze you know right away and so it's all relative right so thankful that it's not that cold uh, and it's why I like living here uh, and it's why I visit Montana in the summer (laughs) and it's why I thought my mom moved here because I thought that she liked me the most of the kids but I guess it was because the weather's a little bit warmer here uh, than it is in Montana. But anyway, we're glad you're here this morning. And as we jump into this series in 1 Samuel, which I think we're going to really enjoy, I wanted to first, I came across a quote that was rather intriguing to me. And it came from an American journalist that says this History repeats itself, but in such a cunning disguise that we never detect the resemblance until the damage is done. In other words, we often don't know that we're actually repeating things that have been done before us until we're already in it, and we think, wow, I'm just doing the same thing they did then. And this isn't a new idea. I mean, this is something that we see in, in, in biblically. I mean, Solomon in Ecclesiastes nailed it when he said this. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. In other words, I think what he's getting at is human nature is human nature. And as human nature goes along, we continue to kind of just fall into the same things because human nature hasn't changed. Our sin struggle hasn't changed since the garden. The things that they struggled with then are the things that we will struggle with now. It may be a little bit different in the way that it looks, but at the core, it's still the same. We're still searching searching for the same things. Paul in Romans says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide we might have hope in other words so as we look back at these things and we and we find out what they were struggling with it is good for us because that we learn from that hopefully so that we won't repeat it so when we look at first samuel it is much like looking in a mirror And as we look and we see that the human heart hasn't changed, it's really easy for us to look back and go, man, how how could the people then be so fickle? How how could they see God provide so much and and then yet turn on him and and, and kind of run away from him? How, How could they complain so easily? And as the popular TV show said not too long ago, this is us. It's the exact same thing that we begin to struggle with. And so rather this morning than just kind of diving into 1 Samuel and, and, and going right into the first chapter, we thought it might be good first just to set up the context, to kind of figure out how did we get here, what's going on, because context is everything. And, and 1 and 2 Samuel was a coherent, was one coherent document that covered Israel's history from the time they got into the Promised Land and they were a, a tribal people that were ruled by judges up until the United Kingdom under David. It covers that whole span. And, and in that, it was, it was one long, coherent story. But because of scroll, scroll length, they had to divide it up in two. And so you had 1 Samuel and you had Second Samuel. 1 Samuel is going to cover from the time that they began to want a king through Saul and through the, the beginning of David. 2 Samuel is all about David's reign. The ups and downs, the ins and outs, everything that he struggled with and how he blessed the people and how the nation rose up under the United Kingdom in that time, all of that is is in there. But if you could go 1 Samuel and you could say, well, what's a tagline for this whole thing? It would be this. We want a king like all the other nations. We want to be like the other nations. We want to be like those around us. So instead of being a distinct people, which God asked them when he brought them into the promised land, I want you to live in the land, but I want you to be distinct from it. I want you to be different. I'll be your God. Don't follow their gods. They said, we want to be like them. We want what they want. That's, what, that's how they were, they were going. So here's where we're going to go this morning, since this whole thing really revolves around a king, as we, as we kind of summarize this whole thing. First one is this, the king we already had, the king we want versus the king that we really need and the king that we're actually really longing for. Those are the three things that I want to just kind of go through this morning. And then we're going to take some time to have communion together where we'll come forward and take the elements. And and so that it just, it's, it's an appropriate ending to when we talk about what is the king that we really want. So let's talk about this king that they already had. Let's recap it and bring it up to speed as far as where we are when when we enter into 1 Samuel. We know that Israel had been in 400 years of captivity in Egypt. It was hard labor for 400 years. They were desperate. They were without hope. God raised up a man named Moses, and, and he set these people free. And, they, and there were some dramatic things that happened, the Red Sea crossing. And God took them right away. After the, after the Red Sea crossing. he took them to Mount Sinai, where he made a covenant with them, and he gave them commands. And, and this was an important thing, because if you remember, these people had been in captivity for 400 years. And so they had no idea, much like when you have somebody who's been incarcerated for years and they get set free, living normal life, living life in freedom is really difficult. How do you you nuance through that? What do you do? What do you don't do? And so God knew these people had been in captivity, hard labor, not really making any choice of their own other than what the Egyptians wanted him to do for 400 years. I'm going to give them some covenants and some commands to help them, to guide them so that when they get to the promised land and they're living in freedom, they, they don't just, it's not just chaos, but they actually can, can govern themselves and they, and they can actually live in peace and freedom. And so that's why he wanted to do that. And so he did that and then he took them to the promised land and, and we all know it, there was fear that was still there for them and, and they didn't want to go in. And so they they said, no, we're not going to go in. They go for 40 years in the desert. God provides year after year in the desert, day after day, continues to show his faithfulness to the people, even though they were really like, ah, we don't want to do that. A whole generation dies. A new generation comes in. Joshua's there. Joshua, one of the guys who was there, first of all, and said, we should go take the land, now is there and says, okay, let's do this again. Joshua leads them in, and it's a successful campaign, and they get into the new land. Same obstacles, everything that was still there was there, but, they, but now instead of filled with fear, they were filled with faith. So they enter into the promised land, and then the 12 tribes divide up. Everybody's given land. Everybody's given their portion. This was what was promised long ago. Now they're there, and, it, and, and everything was good under this leadership that they had. And they, they had a per, pretty simple mandate. When you get in the land, stay faithful to your God, obey his commands, and it will go well with you. And so for a while, it went well. But like the human heart in all of us, when things are comfortable, when there's not anything pressing against us, when we really have no desire to pray because, well, what are we going to pray for because we have everything we need, when that begins to settle into the soul, then you begin to see what I would call a drift. The default of the human heart is to drift. And so while they enjoyed the fruits of their labor, that comfortability came in, and they drifted. And for 300 years, they drifted. They just kept drifting. And God rose up judges. Judges. Different ones to rescue them at different times. People like Deborah, Gideon, Samson, who all did some pretty dramatic things to, to help the people, again, line their hearts with God. But this drift over 300 years continued and continued and continued. The, the drift is really defined in the book of Judges like this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's Judges. Judges. In fact the last sentence in the book of judges judges chapter 21 verse 25 as the book closes says in those days there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in their own eyes now you can just imagine we look at our we look at our culture today and we think wow it's amazing how how quickly things can just spin out of control and and We can call right, wrong, and wrong, right, and we can run away from God and want nothing to do with them. Now, you just do that for 300 years, and you can just imagine the political, the spiritual, the moral anarchy. I mean, when when they say everyone did what was right in their own eyes, that's kind of a nice way of saying they were running from God full force, and they were just doing anything they wanted to do. And if you look at the last chapters of Judges, it's pretty brutal. It's not the kind of things we, we teach in Fellowship Kids. It's not what vacation Bible schools are centered around. I mean, there, there is rape, there is murder, there is incest, there is, I mean, it's, it's everything that's going on. And you begin to see this, this abuse, and it's just all indications of what can happen when a nation forsakes God and begins to run on its own and says, we're going to do it my way in the way that I want. And how quickly that can begin to unravel. When you lose your mourning, when you lose your foundation. Now, it's interesting in our Bibles, in our English Bibles, you go from Judges and it goes right into Ruth. But in the Hebrew Bible, it went right into 1 Samuel. Ruth was after First and Second Samuel. So when you... The last word being, there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Then you go right into 1 Samuel. And what is 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel is a solution to the problem. The solution to the problem was that God would eventually raise up a king. So there's three key players in Samuel. There's Samuel, obviously, who was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a judge. He was one that God raised up. And we'll talk about him in the beginnings when when Hannah just was praying to God for a child, and he gave her Samuel. That'll be one of our first things we talk about. And then the people chose Saul, who didn't have a heart for God, but he looked good, tall, strong, everything else. Could have been an indication at the time when he was going to be anointed, he was over hiding in amongst the luggage because he was scared of what the people would think and didn't ha- felt really insecure so you can see that everything they're based it on wasn't what God was based it on and then finally God brings up and he says okay here's the man that I'll have the most unlikely person you would think and it was David who had flaws but had a heart for God and so again it, it isn't to point to David it's just who David pointed to and so 1st and 2nd Samuel really are history it's a history book it's history genre with a purpose and the purpose really being, with a distinct purpose in mind, to show us what it is like when you, when you do not have God at the center and how quickly it can begin to unravel when we want to do what is right in our own eyes. And it points us to the one that we really want. So when the people asked for a king, Samuel told them, this is not a good idea. This is, God wants me to let, let you know that because of this, you're going to find that this king will enslave you. He will take your children. He'll take your sons. He'll take your daughters. He's going to tax you. And it's going to, you won't have nearly as much as what you've had before. He's going to, your flocks, he's going to take a tenth of that. And and, and you will be enslaved all over again. It will be like Egypt. But now in the promised land. And he says, that's what's going to happen. And but the people did not want that. I mean, they were so entrenched with we want to be like the other people around us. That's interesting. In 1 Samuel 8, it says this. Here's the people's response. No. No. I mean, we, we got that down early on in our life, don't we? No. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, can I beg to differ on that? You know, it was like, No. That's not the way it's going to be. There shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. You know, and I was thinking as I read that, going, well, isn't that what God did for them all along? Isn't that what he was, he was already doing that? I and mean, how did they even get in the promised land? How did Jericho fall? Who, who, how did Gideon and all the obstacles, or how did that happen? you know, with Samson? Who gave him his strength? I mean, so all of these things, you think, wasn't that already there? But the point is, they didn't have a king, but that wasn't because they didn't have one. They just didn't recognize who their king really was. That they already had one. Now, it may not have been a person and flesh and bones. That would come later. But they had one. They just didn't want that one. Or they we'll find out they really wanted to add to that one, which brings me to the second thing, and that is the king we want versus the king we need. Now, you know, I used to think when I read 1 Samuel, I used to think, why in the world can't they just be satisfied with God? And, I used kind of, and I'd get hard, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of be rough on them and going, well, you should not have asked for a king in the first place, but then this week as I was looking at this going, you know, they weren't completely wrong in asking for a king. Because Moses, when Moses wrote to them, because Moses couldn't go into the promised land and Moses gave him five sermons before going into the promised land and said, hey, here's what you need to know when you go into the promised land. Notice what he says in Deuteronomy 17, 15. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. That's the important part. Let him choose it, not you. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. So it wasn't that the problem wasn't that they were asking necessarily for a king. The problem was their motivation and why they were asking for it. The reason that they were asking for it, that their request wasn't based on faith. It wasn't like, hey God. Remember, you told Moses and you instructed Moses to tell us that someday there would be a king that we would have, that would would lead us and, and govern us and that kind of a thing. Is now the time for that to happen or do we still need to wait for that or should we ask for it now? That would be by faith, you know, but we want your timing, so do that. Instead, no, they're like, we want a king because we want to be like all the other nations. So their motivation was FOMO. Fear, they were fear of missing out. They were like, we don't want to. We want to be like everybody else. And their other part, which is comparison, their other part was who will fight for us. So there was safety and security. So in their pride and in their insecurity and in their identity, they all wanted to place it in someone else, someone concrete that they could say, here's the person who's helping us. And of course, this pattern was nothing new because this is something that happened all the way from when they came out of Egypt. From, from the time they entered left Egypt, it, it was clear that God wasn't enough. They always wanted something more. And I, and I think it's really interesting that I think for a lot of people, I don't see a lot of people necessarily running away from God. They just want to add to him. I came across a quote from J.D. Gere this week, and it said this, Usually, we replace God not by walking away from him, but by adding to him. You've heard of ESPN Plus? You know, where you can watch basically any sports uh, that you want. This is Jesus Plus. (laughs) Jesus isn't enough, so I just need a little bit. I want something in addition to Jesus. I know enough that I don't want to get rid of Jesus I value him enough where I don't want to put him aside and walk completely away from him. I just want him plus. And you can add in to whatever the plus is. And so then we hear the words that we would never really want to, have to hear God say. And I think these are probably the most dangerous words spoken in 1 Samuel. When God says, obey their voice and make them a king. In other words, he says... Give them what they want. I can't think of one worse thing you'd want God to say. Just give them what they want. Anybody trust yourself enough to go, "Whoo, that would be great. No. i go, no. Your way is better. Your way is higher. You know better. If this isn't what's best, I don't want it. There may have been a day when I was like, give me what I want but I've gotten what I want at different times in my life and realized that's not really what I wanted. That's not quite what I thought that would work out to be. And so I say, now, God, no, give me what you want. Now, it's interesting that here he didn't say, he didn't say give them a king, which was supposed to be like, let's give them the king that we were going to do. He says, make them a king. As I begin to dive into this, I was like, let them then, Create and choose what they want. Let's see what they come up with and watch this unfold. And it's not like God's going, Oh my gosh, what are they going to do? How are they going to do it? He knew their heart and he knew what was going to happen. And he knew that they were going to call on Saul because Saul fit everything that you would think that you would want in a king. And he goes, Yes, let's do that. Let, let's have them be the king. They weren't looking at the heart, they weren't looking at anything behind. So let's just sit in this a minute. Just the gravity of this in this moment. The default of our human heart will be to drift from Jesus, and it's always to add something on. Jesus plus whatever. And so my question this morning is, as we just enter into Samuel, is what is that for you? What's your plus? Jesus plus what? In other words, what are you looking for for your identity and your security? What is it, and I, and I think in each of us, because we're, we're wired differently, for each of us it may look a little bit different, probably have some consistencies in it, but what is it that for you, 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 you place your security and you go, yes, I love Jesus, I want Jesus, but I, I need this as well. And so you have people today who will go, God, you're great. You, you, you were great, and, and you were on the throne. But I, I need to have a spouse so I can be complete like others. Now, it's not a bad thing, but the motivation is to put your identity in it, which then makes it not a good thing. It says, God, you're great, man, and you, and, 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 but, I, but I need you to answer this prayer in this way. And it's got to be done this way. Now, it's not a bad thing, but, again, it's, it's putting it all in the way that you want it, and so it just becomes then it's going to enslave us. God, you own it all, but, you know, I really want, I, I got to keep this because if I lose this, this is really what I have my security in, and, and I can't give this away because I do, then I don't know what I'm going to do. And you can begin to see then how quickly it becomes for us that we have Jesus plus. And they will always be intention. Because God wants to be our all in all, completely trust him, forsake it all, going, I am all you need, and I'm, all, well, I'm really what you're really, really looking for. It's what your heart is desiring. And the worst thing that you can say is, okay, just give it to him. Let it run its course and we all know we learn right not by things going right but we all learn from when we make our mistakes and we get locked in on something anybody ever gotten so locked in on something it just consumes your mind and you just think I gotta have it and the more you think on it and the more you rationalize it the more it becomes bigger and bigger to you and you think about it all the time and you pray about it all the time and it just becomes this little thing becomes bigger and bigger you ever done that and then eventually if we get it to the point where God's going you yeah, know it's not it's not what you really want it's not what you're really wanting I know why you're wanting it but that's not really what you want and then the worst thing you could do is if you could go okay just give it to him let it run its course let it let it let it do what it's going to do you know I, I I see this you know in in a world today I was talking with someone this week as I was a retreat with family life we were just talking about how polarized our culture is and how much we no no one can agree to disagree anymore. It it seems like everybody is just to one side or the other. And and even in the in the political realm, you know, I see it and, and I see how we can look so easily to a person, to a man, to a woman, to to be our savior, to to answer everything. And in reality, they can't. They're flawed. Now, now get me wrong. I'm not saying you don't need good people in in, in good spots who will follow the ways of the Lord. But ultimately, what is our trust in? And so it's the the king we have versus the king that we really need. And then you have, lastly, the king we're longing for. You know, in the beginning we talked about 1 Samuel being a historical book of purpose, and the big purpose on this one really is is to show us how the human heart longs for other things, how it overpromises and undelivers anything that's out there that for us. The people chose Saul, a deeply flawed man. God chose David, who had a heart for him, but was also flawed, which 2 Samuel will bring out completely. The lineup of kings was not. Uh, a, a lineup of Hall of Fame kings. When you look at Israel and you look at Judah, even the divided kingdom, you had people like Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and Uzziah, and these were different kings who, who did a pretty decent job, probably more good than not. But then you had Ahaz and Manasseh and Amon and Jehoiakim, who were bad to the bone, and, and they just led Israel astray. And it's interesting, when, when you, each king in Israel was anointed, was anointed with oil. And the, in Hebrew, they were called the Messiah. In, in Greek, they were called the Christs. Now, what's interesting about that is ever since that, as we look at the history of these first Christs, it, the whole point of them is to show you that what you're really looking for is the Christ who is to come. At all points. They're not going to satisfy. It's not going to satisfy. You're always going to find more longing. You're always going to find where you want something more. They're not going to do this. They're flawed. If you're looking to them to save you, they can't. There's only one that can. And it all points to the ultimate one that would come, and that is Christ himself. And so really the thing that shouts, I think, in, in the book of 1 Samuel is this. Choose King Jesus. Choose King Jesus. Every day when you and I wake up, we have a choice. What will we do? And it says, choose King Jesus. What are you going to put your identity in? Put your identity in the fact that he says about you. What are you going to find your security in? Find your security in the one who is this. This morning as I was reading my devotional, it was talking about the power of the mind and and whatever we set our minds on really begins to uh, bring into focus our hearts and our emotions. Everything will follow that. And, And so it was just talking about no wonder the scriptures say, hey, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Romans 8 tells us, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. It's interesting that the scriptures over and over say, consider this. Consider this. And so it's, it's continually saying, every day, every moment, put your mind on Christ. Choose Christ because ultimately he's the one who's going to be able to bring that shalom that was talked about to your soul. Every day, and this is, I think this is a this is an everyday thing. This is not a I choose him once and I'm good to go. I don't know about you. Every morning I wake up, I gotta choose King Jesus. Because I continually get things rushing into my mind, things coming in, different worries, different concerns, different anxieties, and all of them are rushing in. And it's like, what what am I gonna do with all this? Where am I gonna place all this? Choose King Jesus. Let's take it home. I, I think this series is really going to hit us because as we look at this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to plant right where we are and right where our hearts are. And again, I, I come back to this quote. History repeats itself, and it will in our life, in such a cunning disguise that we won't even be able to detect it until it's already late. And you go, oh, wow. This morning, we're going to take communion together it's going to point us right back. Thankfully, God sent us his son, the ultimate Christ in human flesh, who would be the king of kings, the king among all kings we're pointed to, the one who is worthy of all our trust, who took on all our sin. And so when we take these elements this morning, when we take of the bread and we take of the cup, what we're saying in each one is, I choose King Jesus. I choose him. Which is why it's so important that when we come, we, we first have a time of going, what else am I placing? So I encourage you, as you come this morning, and as you contemplate, what is the plus? And confess the plus. Yeah. And we all have it. So well, what's the plus? God, I, I look for security in this. Forgive me. God, I'm looking to this to fill something that it can't, and only you can what is the plus? I don't know if any truer statement has been said, but God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Not from the things that we do, not from the things that we don't do. What glorifies him the most is when our hearts are most satisfied in him, when we choose him. And we say, well, I want you over everything else. You know what to do? go love first. We love because he first loved us. Have a great week.